0: Thank you. You may have a seat. And let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you today, and we are so thankful. As the spirit of gratitude is around us, uh, Father, we lift our voices to you, and we thank you uh, for your Son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for your church. Father, I pray now that you would give us opportunity to, to think about you rightly through your word. And apply what it is that we learn rightly in the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Brandon. I am executive pastor here at Bethel. And Pastor Ken sends his greetings. He's away visiting family for Thanksgiving. And so I get the privilege to be able to share the word with you. Uh, We're going to be in Mark chapter 15. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we are continuing through the gospel of Mark. And we are at a, a point in the, the scripture that is so weighty and so heavy uh, and, and so inspiring that, that in the spring, we will call the day that we're talking about here Good Friday. And so in our minds, we, we have to consider why do we call that Good Friday? When I first came to faith at about the age of 30, I, I came to faith in Christ and I learned all kinds of new things about the world. One of those was this idea of Good Friday and the death of Christ. And so if you are new to the faith today, I hope that you walk away understanding why we call it Good Friday. And what is so good about it? We're, we're going to, to walk through this. We'll see uh, two benefits that Christ gives us through his death. We'll we'll see two applications from Joseph of Arimathea. But we'll we'll get there. I want to ask you a question. And that question is this. Who is it that has inspired you to be better? Who is it in your life that has inspired you to be better? What name pops into your Mind? What, what action or what activity is it that, that you remember that person doing? Uh, think about what it is that inspires you about that person. And I would imagine it has something to do with sacrifice that has inspired you. I, I think about right now in, in, in my mind, I, uh, I am so thankful for, uh, for the, the Church of Bethel, for the, the people that I've encountered in my life. I think of a single mom working hard to keep her kids in a safe home and around good people. I think about a young couple who are both brand new to the faith and hungry to know Jesus more and more, but they have family pressure to stay in the family religion. I think of a man carrying around cancer like a backpack full of loving concern for his family, still pouring himself into serving others every week. I think of a spouse who's been crushed by confession as making the painful slow walk of forgiveness and healing day by day. I think of a mom who sets her alarm for one in the morning to finish cooking a birthday cake for her son. I think of a dad who's putting in 80 hours a week and still makes time to share small moments with his wife. I think of a grandparent who is surprised to be raising their young grandchildren Because of a tragedy in their child's life. I think of a young person who is so strapped with anxiety and insecurity, but they put their head up and their shoulders back and they faithfully go to school. I think of a person who has confessed secret sin in their life and is throwing themselves on the grace of God alone to make a change. I think of a married couple who are realizing after 25, 30 years that they've grown apart and silent and bitter and they want more for their marriage. I, I think of a friend who is there at the drop of a hat when someone is in need. I'm thankful to God for these people in my life. The the way that they boldly confess Christ, the, the way that they sacrificially give, inspires me to be better. And, and that really is the big idea of even today of, of what we're going to see with the death of Christ. The purpose in the life and death of Jesus was to reproduce bold faith in his followers. That's the big idea. That's, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to see the purpose in the life and the death of Jesus through these two benefits that he gives is to reproduce bold faith in his followers. And the people I described above and if it sounds like I'm talking about you, know you're not alone. If it sounds like, like I'm talking about you and you're saying, I know that Brandon knows my story and that's my story, consider that you are not alone. That there is another one carrying that. That there's, a, there's another one doing what I described. There's another one suffering and struggling in that same way. And as we live in that faithful way, we encourage others around us to encourage others around us. But I'm so thankful it causes me to to desire to be better. But the the common thread in those people that I would describe, they would tell you it's because of their bold faith in Jesus. Their eyes are set on him, not of the world. Their priorities are clear. They, They are professing Jesus boldly And they're giving of themselves sacrificially because that's what the life and the death of Jesus is able to do. And we're all pointing one another to the faithfulness and the deliverance of God, even when we don't see it, even when it seems dark. We're going to see that right here in the text, Mark chapter 15. The gospel of Mark is fast paced. It's a simple sentence type of story. It's winding down quickly. We are here at the death of Christ. Remember, that, that big idea, the, the, the purpose of the life and death of Jesus was to reproduce bold faith in his followers. We're gonna follow a very basic outline. You can, you can take notes if you would like to. Um, I'm not gonna have any PowerPoints. I, I want us to be in the text, uh, heads in the Bible, listening to, to what it is that is there for us. Uh, if you have a pew Bible in front of you, I believe it's on page 1014. Uh, and also, if you have the Bethel app and you hit that Bethel tab, when you do that, uh, it leads you directly to U version, uh, the Bible app, version in the app, and it's directly going to take you to Mark chapter 15. It's updated every week. All you have to do is open up your app, go to the sermon, to the Bible tab, and it will open up where we are in the text. It'll even hold your personal highlights, your personal notes, uh, after you log in. And so you can use that app for your you Version Bible. And so I invite you to do that, or you can turn to page 1014, I believe, in the Pew Bible, where we're going to, to read our text. We're going to have three sections. Uh, the first section is going to be from, from Mark chapter 15, 33, down to 38. And that is the, the two benefits, the two results of Jesus' death. We're going to see those right there in that text. Then Mark chapter 15, 39 and 41 is in in the paragraph. It's very pivotal. We're going to see two unlikely witnesses. And, And you'll see that in the centurion and in the women. And then Mark chapter 15, verses 42 through 47 is going to be the applications. We're going to see Joseph of Arimathea's response. His bold witness, his sacrificial giving. So let's read that text together. Mark chapter 15, 33 through 47, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. And they were saying, Mocking, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem." He granted the corpse to Joseph and Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him, that's Jesus, in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you and, and, and we ask you to help us to, to see what you would have us see in this word. Father, open our, our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, the, the death and the life of Jesus... We, we see here, we, we see that, that Mark is, is racing into this account. Uh, he is, he is uh, again, a very, a very a single-sentence type of writer. He, he's not extrapolating a lot on what is being said. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take a couple of statements, and I want to show you what it is that we are benefited by through the death of Jesus. And, and really, the first one is right here in Verse 33. In verse 33, uh, Jesus is already on the cross for three hours. And it says in verse 33, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And then at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is here exactly quoting Psalm 22, 1 and, and, and pointing those who are around him back to the scripture uh, that, that shows he's fulfilling this condemnation of God, but also showing that there is faithfulness and hope at the end of that psalm. But as we see this, we see that he is, is in darkness as he is crying out this Psalm 22, text. And so when the sixth hour had come and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, we might just read that and say, okay, that's a really interesting um, weather occurrence. Uh, Something must have been happening. What was happening in that darkness, that was Jesus taking the judgment and the condemnation for our sin that darkness is something that the original hears the Jews would have understood as they as they read the text their mind would have went back to Amos chapter 8 verse 9 where it says this in that day that that day of the Lord declares the Lord God I will make the sun go down at noon and I will darken the earth in the daytime the way that the that the the, the Jewish timekeeping went would be that that ninth hour uh, would have been 3 p.m. At the, the sixth hour uh, would have been noon. And so, so there is darkness coming upon suddenly is the way that the original language says it. There is judgment that has come to the cross. There is judgment that has come to Jerusalem. And that judgment is laid upon Jesus. That's the judgment of God upon Jesus paying the, the penalty for sin taking the weight of what it is that that we have done wrong as humankind and laying it all on him. And we we see that, and and this is the first reason we call this Good Friday. This is the first reason why we look at this and we rejoice in the death of Christ. Why? Because, Because the wages of sin is death. And either it is that Jesus is going to be the one that the weight of that sin is put upon, and God invites you into that truth, or you will bear the weight of your sin, which is death, which is darkness, which is judgment. But we, we see this as something that, that Jesus is doing. Isaiah 53, 6 would, would say it this way, all we like sheep have gone astray. We, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10 says it this way, though. It pleased the father. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. You see, God, God's not absent from this scene. That The darkness is, is not that God isn't there. God is there. In the darkness, sometimes we are tempted to think that God isn't there. But he is there even when we can't see it, even when we don't know it, even when things aren't going the way that we think that they ought to go. But God is always present. And this is what is so good about what is going on here is that that he is intentionally punishing his son so that he will not punish you. He is intentionally laying the, the shame and the guilt. Pastor Ken talked so well about this last week. He's intentionally laying all of that on his son so that you can be free, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be saved. He is the substitute. And again, if you're, if you're new to the faith and, and this seems as though this is maybe a bit extra, like why, why does it have to be like this? We all understand payment for debt. We all understand um, uh, retribution, if you will, if something is, is held back. And so in the Old Testament, the way that, that sin was dealt with was through an animal sacrifice. And, and those who were, were um, uh, going up to Jerusalem for the forgiveness of their sin, uh, they would bring a substitutionary animal. And that substitutionary animal would then be killed. And that person would be free of the condemnation. In the book of John, when Jesus is introduced, he's introduced as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is a substitute for sin. All the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back in Leviticus and in Genesis and in other books that are, that are leading up to where we're at, we see that fulfilled here on the cross in the darkness. God isn't there in the darkness to punish the sinner crucifying Jesus. God isn't there to to punish the mocker who is wagging their tongues and making fun of our Savior. God is not there to protect his son hanging on the cross. God is there in the darkness bringing down judgment on his son for the sins of the world. For, for your sins and, and for mine. For, for the sins of those who have, have offended you. And, and for the, the sins of those who we see in the world who are doing horrendous acts. If they would only turn to Jesus. If they would only repent. If they would only claim that Jesus is that substitute and that sacrifice. You see, Jesus became that sacrifice for you. Jesus from the cross said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He deserved praise and honor for what he was doing for the people around him and yet they continued to mock him. As he's crying out, Eloi, Eloi, the the bystanders hearing that down in verse 35 said this, behold, he's calling Elijah and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, "Uh, wait, let's let's see whether Elijah will come down, uh, come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. We understand that loud cry is is from the Gospel of John. He says, it is finished. The the payment has been reconciled. The, The debt has been erased through the substitute. Sacrifice of Jesus for sinners. And yet there is mocking even in the moments where that's happening. After hours of torture, after hours of disgrace, after, after hours of what it is that we have heard about over the last few weeks through our preaching, through this teaching... Jesus was strong enough to utter a loud cry. If if we don't remember what crucifixion is, it is death by asphyxiation over time. It can take two or three days. But as as you hang on the cross, your body gets heavier and heavier under your own weight, and eventually you can't draw in a breath. All you can do is exhale, and there's no air left in your lungs. And yet at this point, Jesus was strong enough to utter a loud cry. Another account, we, we see Jesus gave up his spirit. He, he says as much. He says that he lays his own life down, that, that no man has the authority to take it, that he lays it down and that he will take it back up. And so Jesus did die. That, that is what we're seeing here. In fact, that's what really much of the text is about. If you want to track with me a little bit through the text, we see that, that he is giving up the ghost. He is breathing his last in verse 37. But the, the writer Mark wants us to get that he is truly dead. We see it in verse 39 when the centurion says, uh, this truly was, in a past tense, the son of God. We see it up in the text in verse 44 when Pilate, and we'll we'll learn this in just a moment, was surprised to hear that he had already died. At the end of verse 44, and and that he was already dead. Verse 45, that the centurion uh, said that he was dead, and they granted the corpse to Joseph. And then finally in verse 46, they lay him in a tomb. This is all very dead language but it was for a reason. The the first reason that, that Jesus died is so that he could take your condemnation. Let me put it like this. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to worry so much about measuring up. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to worry so much about padding your resume. Jesus died so you wouldn't have to be so morally superior to the people around you. That's a great benefit. That's freedom. We we see that there is, is great freedom when we know that we don't have to wrestle and, and wrangle and fight for what people think about us. We don't have to be perfect to be loved by God. We don't have to be perfect to know that we belong. That's a, that's a great benefit of the believer. Jesus died having lived a perfect life and dying this perfect, horrendous death that we can be honest about our imperfection. That we can be humble when other people are Imperfect because we know we've been forgiven. But it's not only that we have been forgiven, not only that we've been set free, not only that we, that we don't have to, to work to measure up, but he's also given us access directly to God. Look back with me in the text. He, he breathes his last, and then in verse 38, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom now again Mark in his very staccato style it's just just a sentence says that the the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom if you don't know the the curtain is what would separate in the temple God's sanctuary um, in, in the Old Testament in the temple there would be this there would be this this holy place, and then there'd be the holy of holies that, that a priest was only allowed to go into one time a year, and there he would be able to make a, a sacrifice for the sins of the nation on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur is what it's called, and and they would have to go through that veil, one priest, like one minute, like in and out, kind of get there, get that, get that done. They don't want to be there too long. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, and, and so that curtain is what separates the Holy of Holies from the whole rest of the world. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. Tradition would tell us that the curtain was a hand width thick, made of multiple cords tied together. They would, tradition would say that the the, the temple curtain was four inches thick. Now I'm willing to, to um, have a game. If, I'll, I'll bring up a phone book, and if anybody can rip that phone book in half, um, then, then we'll, we'll be very happy about that. But what I would say is that if, if we can't rip a phone book in half, we're not ripping that temple curtain in half, especially from top to bottom. The original hearers would have known exactly what was happening, exactly what was being represented, and that is that with the death of Christ, those who believe in Jesus have direct access to the Father. We have direct access to God. We we no longer need to go uh, through a religious ordinance in order to to know God. We ne- we no longer have to uh, keep all of the the. Levitical and, and laws uh, to, to be able to measure up to, to get to him. We no longer need someone else to atone for our sins other than Jesus. And so we have direct access to the Father. We can go boldly into prayer to the Father. We can, we can commune with God. In fact, God is in our midst right now. God, the the triune God, it it says in other parts of scripture that that he indwells us. He indwells his people and he is everywhere. Our father is here and we can commune with him any time. I pray that's a great encouragement. I pray that's a great benefit to know that you are not alone to know that God is with you in the hard times, in the struggles. Because when we know that we have peace with God, when we know that we have that proximity to God, when we know that he is close to us, we can now live in a way that we've never lived before. We, we can live a, a fearless way. We can live an honest way. We can live a patient way. We can live a generous way because we know that we have all that we ever need in God. And we get that through the death of Christ. He takes our condemnation, he takes our punishment, and we take his place in fellowship with God. We can become the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God. I pray that that's something that's good. I pray that that's something that you're grateful for today. Turn with me over to Romans, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, really puts it all together in, in a way, so I'm going to start up in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 22, um, but we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, if you want to turn over there, uh, just uh, maybe some free trivia, uh, the, the Bible verses and the Bible chapters are not original to the Bible, so those came about in the medieval age, in the middle age, especially when the printing press was, was invented and people were now tracking and reading the Bible more. That's when the, the chapter headings or the chapter, verse, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers came in uh, in the medieval church. And so um, in any case, if you're ever reading old uh, theologians, many times the older theologians won't cite verses. They won't cite chapters. They'll cite the, the writer of the book, and that's why. So it's okay if I start in, in Romans 4 to get to Romans 5. That's why I tell you that. So Romans 4, verse 22, is talking about Abraham and, and the righteousness that's found in faith. Verse 22 of chapter 4, that is why his faith was counted to him as, <clears throat> as righteousness. But, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. For ours also. That's a benefit of what it is that that we're talking about today. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, this is where we get those two benefits, and and we'll see it right here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We we no longer have condemnation. We no longer fear punishment. We no longer are at war with God, but we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. That that is something that that we we can think about practically. We don't have to worry about measuring up anymore. We don't have to worry about being good enough or perfect because he was. We're free. But then he says this, "...through him we also and obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand." So not only do we have this freedom that comes from forgiveness, but now we have this this access to God, to to the grace with which now we stand. Now we can go to God and we can can experience that grace personally in a relationship with Jesus. We're never alone. We're never without wisdom. We're never without guidance. We're never, never without help. And now... We see that it affects the way that we live. Look in Romans chapter 5 again. He says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We're going to get practical now. Like socks and cereal, practical. How many of you understand what suffering is? How many of you understand what, what this imperfect life can bring to you at the drop of a hat? How many of you been, have been surprised by grief or drama or tragedy uh, this week? <laughs> now, I'm not even talking about over the last year, but, but lately. How many have you, uh, of, of you have, have seen the suffering that can happen in this world? And our hands go up. And, and the Bible knows and encourages us and says we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering in, uh, produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can, we can now, because of the freedom, because of the, the, the forgiveness that we have in the death of Christ, because of the, the proximity, because of the, the ability to be able to commune with God personally and have wisdom and, and, and access to him all of the time, now we can even see in our suffering that we can rejoice This allows us to be bold in our lives. That's why Christ died. Christ died that we would be bold in our lives, bold in our witness, and and bold in the way that we give. And I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it to puff up my my moral stature. I'm not not doing it to impress you. I'm doing it because it's who I am in Christ. Christ. When we live in Christ, we are becoming more human than we've ever been in our lives. We're becoming what it is that we already are in his eyes. And we don't have to force it. We walk in the spirit and we will not satisfy The lust of the flesh. We're we're going to be uh, walking in this way, and as we're doing that, we're able to encourage one another because of what it is that we have in Christ. I don't have to do it to look good. I don't have to do it to fill up some hole in myself to where I'm telling myself I'm a good person. I always seem to figure myself out. (laughs) I always seem to figure out that maybe I'm not as good as what I think. But when we have this access, when we have this forgiveness, we can confidently say, Hebrews thirteen six says it this way, the, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Romans eight thirty one: "If if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's exactly what we see here as we pivot in Mark chapter 15. So go back to Mark chapter 15. And what we see here then is the effect of what Jesus has done. We see it first in the centurion, then in the woman or the women that that are close. It's a pivotal paragraph. Uh, Verse 39, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. This is the confession of the book. This is, this is the big idea. As we're reading it, uh, we are remembering Mark chapter 1, verse 1, talking about this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now, through all of the book, now we get it from this, this thick-knuckled, brazen, war-tried, murderous centurion. He's the one who says, truly, this was the Son of God. He, he's an unlikely witness for sure. I'd love to spend more time on that. Maybe the, the focus of another sermon can be on that. But for now, we see that he's actually linked then because he, he says that, and uh, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and the mother of James the Younger and Joses and Salome, um, when he was in Galilee, they followed him, ministered to him, and there were many other women also who came up with him to Jerusalem. These are unlikely witnesses. In, in fact, uh, a, a Jewish prayer of the day would be this Thank God that I am not a Gentile, a, a murderous centurion for sure. Thank God I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. And yet, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we regain the humanity of all people, from all backgrounds, from all ethnicities, male or female. In Christianity, we find the humanization of people, we find the equalization of people. And that would have been striking and radical to the original hearers. That's inspiring. That, that makes a change. That makes a difference. And we see this happen. We see the heart then of Joseph of Arimathea. As we keep reading, we see his heart turned. Verse 42, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God? That means he was spiritually minded. He was he was a a, a true Jew in that in that sense that he was looking for a Messiah. Took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So we're gonna we're gonna find in in Joseph's response this bold witness and sacrificial giving. And as we turn to application, I would I would say let us be thinking about this. If the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. If the proximity that we have to God the Father is real and encouraging, how does that affect our lives? The first one is bold witness. Joseph of Arimathea was, it says, he was looking for the kingdom. It says that he was taking courage and asking Pilate for the body of Jesus. If you know anything about Pilate, he's a, he's, he's a pretty temperamental dictator. He is somebody who you would not just want to go in and ask for something like this. Uh, there, there is a lot of skepticism in the world about whether or not Pilate would have given this up because it was not common practice to let anybody off of the crucifixion cross. They were there hanging naked for intimidation. The Romans were not polite in war. They they weren't polite in the way that they dealt with people who were rebels against their cause. And yet, we saw that Joseph of Arimathea had this bold witness. If, If you knew that you were forgiven if you knew you didn't have to measure up if you knew you didn't have to impress the people around you if you knew that you didn't have to keep your job in order to survive if you knew that you didn't have to be liked to um in in order to to feel good about yourself what would you do if you had that kind of freedom what would you do I, I got a text from, from a guy um, th- this week, and I'm not going to use his name or anything, but, um, but these are the kinds of things that I see all the time, and, and I'm, I'm blessed to be a pastor, but I, um, I, I see this. I had a, a guy that just texted me and said, uh, Hey, Brandon, what do you think about this situation? Um, I, I'm, I'm going out of town on business, and my business partner is, is a woman. Um, and she, she's nice, it's not a big deal, there's, there's nothing really um, really bad about that, but we're, we're going to be going to some dinner dates um, later with clients, and I don't feel right about that. I don't, I don't feel right going out and driving in the same car with a woman who isn't my wife, and there's going to be some drinking at these social events, and, and I just don't think that that's the right thing to do. What do you think? And so I said, well, how, how well do you know your coworker?" And so he said, well, I, I know her pretty well. I said, well, why don't you just share your conviction with her and see how it works out? And he said, that, you know what, that's a great idea. Okay, I'll do that. So I texted him this morning to let him know I'm going to use his text. Um, but <laughs> but I, texted him, I texted him this morning and said, hey, how'd, that, how'd the thing work out? And um, he, he said, you know what, it... It worked It worked out. He said that it was something. Thanks for asking. I explained I was going to be declining anything after hours. It was a little awkward, but they went about their business, and I went about mine in my own way. I love that. How, how many of you would, if you're convicted in your heart about something, how many of you would just tell the truth about it? And say you know what if that affects my job it affects my job that's not where my survival is if it upsets somebody in a, in a way right we, we don't we're not going to be mean about it but if it upsets somebody how, how much are we holding on to that Every, everything and everybody in Joseph of Arimathea's life would have hated what he did could you imagine being Mrs. Joseph of Arimathea And Joseph says, I'm going to go and I'm going to expose myself publicly, very publicly, as a follower of Jesus. Not only that, but I'm going to to give him my tomb. The tomb of a rich man, uh, satisfying Isaiah 53. I'm going to give him my burial plot. Not only that, but between I and Nicodemus, Nicodemus was another of the council, We're going to go and we're going to purchase about $200,000 worth of spices and anoint the body. What would you do if you were Mrs. Joseph of Arimathea? Would you be happy about the the sacrifice and, and about the giving, about the generosity that Joseph was showing to this person? That's what he's up against. But he has this bold witness. But because he knows he is free, he knows he is forgiven, he knows that even though people might not like it, he's gonna have that witness for Christ. And he's going to be generous with it. But there's something else that I think is really interesting, and that is, given the situation, Joseph coming forward as a follower of Christ, he might need that grave more quickly than he thinks. He's actually putting himself in harm's way. He's actually putting himself on the same cross that Jesus is on. He's publicly, boldly confessing his faith in the Messiah who was just murdered. And he's on a council of people who made it happen. One of those people on the council, one of those people who knew the council was a man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus, uh, Paul, is what he'll be called after he converts. You can turn over to Acts 22 if you want to. I'm just going to read this one account that, that tells you how serious it was that, that he's coming out and giving this Christian testimony. Paul says it this way. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for all God has, uh, and, and for all, for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness." Joseph of Arimathea is a member of the council, the council that bears witness to killing and persecuting and torturing Christians. It's not a small thing that Joseph of Arimathea is is coming forward in this bold statement. But Joseph has seen the light. He's, He's seen what it is that Christ has done. And so we can see back in the text that he took courage in verse 43, went to Pilate, asked for the body of Pilate, Pilate is surprised that the body has already been um, deceased. So he summons a centurion. The centurion comes, says, yeah, he's dead. Verse 45 says that he granted the corpse of Jesus to Joseph. The most ignoble word you could use for a piece of meat is what he hands back to Joseph. And yet they pour out generously $200,000 and the grave for Jesus and they wrap him they they go and they buy fine linen shrouds they take him down wrap him in linen and lay him in a tomb that's been cut out of the rock Joseph of Arimathea is having to now die to himself he's having to say that life with Christ is worth more than life in this world He's having to say that, that, that standing up for Jesus knows that I might be standing in a firing line. And to hang everything on Jesus might mean that I hang on a cross tomorrow. That's what the death of Jesus does to his people. It multiplies worshipers of God. It, it allows us to come alongside and do these generous things. And so how do we live in this generous way? We, we've been forgiven. We have freedom. We've been given access. We have that proximity to God. We have the wisdom of God and the, the, the person of God all the time with us. How does that affect your life? Let us boldly witness. If God is for us, who can be against us? And let us be generous, sacrificially Generous. In a way that others would look at us and and be around us and say, "You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't buy that person a car. You shouldn't uh, you shouldn't give that much to the church. You shouldn't give of your time that much for that ministry. You shouldn't forgive your wife after what she's done to you." You shouldn't be kind to your kids if they're disobeying you. You shouldn't repent of sin that you find pleasurable that isn't hurting anybody. The Bible in the New Testament is so chocked full of of amazing passages of of generosity and and of ways that we can do this. I I just want to share one with you as we close. This is all through the testament that we would see the the way that that in the way that, that that Jesus people would come together and they would share everything they have they would know one another well enough to know what the needs are in the homes to put it in a very practical way you you really don't need the the needs that i have until you've used my bathroom you you really don't know me until you've been in my home and you really don't know the way that I parent my kids until you've sat around a kitchen table with us at seven, at, at, for dinner at seven o'clock on a Saturday night. And I don't know you either. Not really. That's generosity. That's, that's early Christianity that changed the world. And that's no different than what we can do today. The New Testament is full of passages that would absolutely revolutionize our congregation, our city. Galatians 5 would just be one. It would say the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand, for, stand firm, therefore, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. My brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity because of the access to the Father, because of the freedom that we have in forgiveness, that we can be open and generous and real and invested in one another's lives. Jesus Christ lived, and Jesus Christ died, that he would multiply those types of people. We have opportunity to be that type of people even today. I challenge you with that. Our takeaways are that Jesus died to make you free. Enjoy it. Enjoy the freedom, but enjoy it in a way that causes you to serve others. Number two, Jesus died to give you access to God. Enjoy it. Enjoy knowing that you are in proximity right now in relationship with God. If you have accepted uh, the, the free gift of Jesus as your substitute, enjoy it. Pray, commune, meditate on his law day and night. It's good for you. And then finally, Jesus died in order for you to use these gifts for good, not for selfishness. Notice the people around you. Invest in the people around you. Give bold witness through sacrificial giving. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I pray that, that we would be so encouraged by what it is that you have given us, that we would even today, and even as I've been reminded by a brother in Sunday school, that even today, we would know that we can reset. We, we can know that we can, can do what we know is right because we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, because we have the people of God around us, and because we have those who are made in your image who need your message. And so, Father, I pray that we would humbly, yet boldly approach your throne of grace and those whom we encounter today. In Jesus' name.